All right. Uh, I guess here we are then. Welcome back. What's what was that introduction? I, was like, I guess here we are. I guess yeah. here we are. We got nothing else to do. <laughs> the only wake me for the important meetings. <laughs> That's great. Hey, this is science in between. Uh, and this is Scott, and this is Ollie, and uh, gonna and... rock it old school right here, Scott McDonald. It's episode one seventy nine. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> what? Why would you be mentioning that? Because Oliver? we're back in our prime. That's right. It's a prime <laughs> number, my friends. Let the pain that's, and suffering begin. <laughs> I just put it there, just there. Just put it out as we're, there. As we were talking before the show, I, you know, a little, I got a little excited. It's one seventy nine. <laughs> little, little adrenaline rush. It was great. I felt yeah. it inside in my heart. Endorphins? Is it endorphins yeah. or adrenaline? Endorphins. I don't know. I, I don't think know. it's endorphins. Yeah, it's one of those. Biology is not our thing. We we just don't know that stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's not our thing. No. But 179. We've been at this for a bit. Hot minute. We've been at, yeah. at it for a hot minute. Is that what the kids call it today? No. I don't know. I I I think every time I say that stuff around my kids, they cringe. Oh, like yeah. dad, as they know, do. Yeah. As the when the whole Riz thing came out. Oh. And yeah. me oh, and every yeah. other dad, you know, dad yeah. in the world was trying to incorporate it as as a joke, as a dad as joke. A joke into their into their thing. And it turns out that really nobody except other dads find that funny, which I think is the defining characteristic of a dad joke, actually. Which I think is what prompts the jumping of the shark, right? Of this yeah. of any of this jargon. As soon as the as soon as you know, dads start joking about as soon as it, dads start talking about it. It's like, yeah, let's stop. Let's yeah, stop. let's we, come we, up with some yeah. other. <laughs> we have to create some new vernacular because the dads some, are making jokes about it. Take some new, take some word and spell it in a new way. Put some dollar yes. signs in it or something. And yes, yeah. <laughs> signs. I'm, I'm Kesha. <laughs> You're Kesha. That's great. All right, all right. We might as well. well the Tom Fullery. Uh, <laughs> Should cease en- at enough, this point. Enough of the tomfoolery. On to yeah. serious business. Well, I'm going to set this up because this this was a conversation I recently had with some uh, some students. I was invited to come in and do an orientation for our uh, doctoral students in our uh, in our social work program. We have a, a, oh. a doctorate of social work, mm-hmm. and they some of my colleagues know that I've been playing around with AI a lot, and and they asked me to come in and just talk to their students, introduce them to the the, the concept. And one of the things when I do this this work or well, these workshops, because I've been doing a, a bunch of these with different you know schools and different folks, uh, is I have them rate like their your their knowledge of of AI, and and typically. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting people who are on the novice end of things. I have a couple of folks who are more was more a little bit more expert in this group, which was great because I could nice. uh, tap into them. Um, a couple of folks who were like at different institutions who were teaching. So there was one person who was a you know a faculty member at Pitt, another one at some of the Poshy schools, and it was great just to have like you know a real good conversation around AI. I was you know I had some content to share. You know, we talked about ethics and bias and all that stuff. But I'd say about midway through the program, to I mean, midway through or two thirds of the way through the workshop, um, I'd open it up for questions before I moved on. And and one of the students who was just beginning this their their doctoral journey said, well, "What do you think the role that this stuff plays for us as as beginning researchers, as people who are going to start out as yeah. as as researchers? Like, what do you what are the the tools? What are the habits? What are the things that we we should be doing?" And that was a question that kind of caught me off guard. Hmm. 
I mean, I I'd thought about the tools, but I hadn't thought about the intersection of the tools and their development. And mm. and this is not my program. Like this is these are oh, folks right. in a not yeah, this yeah. is the folks sure. in a different uh I mean, I've worked I've served on a committee or two mm-hmm. in that in that department. Um and I've I've enjoyed working with those students and I wor- enjoyed working with the faculty members in that department, but I don't know their program well. Sure. So um, you want to be careful what you say. I, right, exactly. And so I was really kind of you know, guarded in terms of like setting policy, because that's the last thing I want to do was to say to ban it. You shouldn't use this at all or right. say, hey, it's fair game. Yeah. Use it. However, Chat GPT should write your dissertation for you. Right. Yeah. And, and so it was it was really that intersection that kind of caught me off guard is, OK, I have I know what it takes because I've you know, I've I've been a doctoral student. I've you know certainly worked with a, a bunch of doctoral students and, yeah. and, and grad students, too, and, and undergrads. I mean, it, it, I guess it, it really depends upon where they are on, along that trajectory that, you know, the advice we give. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, OK, so what are the tools that I would recommend? And I'm teaching a class this semester in which they're starting out with a research project. Um, some doctoral students are starting out. And so it made me think about like what what tools I would give. So I'm going to I'm, I'm going to introduce some tools to you. And I don't know how familiar these are. So I'll describe them to you yeah. and then say where you are with this. Um, there's a ton of tools. There are like so many tools. Yeah. So many tools. Well, I just just to interject for a second. I mean, um, one of the things I remember when I was a doctoral student um, and I was getting to my comprehensive exams, which for those of you who haven't done this, it's sort of when you're done with coursework, there's some milestone. It varies in how it works at different institutions. You write papers, you sit in front of a committee, you answer questions, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the year that I did it, they they had us write um, answers to questions, but they sat us in a room like three hours at a time. And gave us a question. We had three hours to write on it, but we had our computers. So the big debate at that point was, do we get to use bibliographic software? Because is that an unfair advantage to be able to access all your notes and all your stuff and all your your citations? And it does the citations correctly in the format that you choose and all this stuff. And, you know, this was a big debate among the faculty about whether this should be allowed or not. So, you know, technology is always doing this to us, giving us these milestone events where we have to debate like, okay, which of these pieces of the technology are we going to embrace and which ones are we going to, um, you know, expel or, or try to reduce uh, in terms of their impact on practice. And I think that's a really good example because I mean, there's a, uh, you and I both were big papers users, right? Like yeah. way back in the day, yeah. papers was a, is a, like a library. It's a, you could take all your articles and make a, a digital library that's searchable across all articles and it integrates with words. So you could do citations. And sometimes the citations were a little messy, but even that was, you know, it really required the metadata on the back end to be correct. Right. Um, and I've moved my whole library now to, to Zotero because yeah. uh, it has some real uh, advantages and the students hadn't even heard of Zotero. Zotero. So yeah. I brought up my Zotero library and the, their minds yeah. were blown right. uh, because they were like, well, can we do this? And I'm like, absolutely. It's free. You, you must do it. <laughs> you must do this. Do this now. <laughs> and talking about the integrations, not only with their uh, internet browsers, but also uh, the integrations with uh, Microsoft Word and mm-hmm. how it can do that. I mean, they were, their mind was blown. But I think that 
is something that falls in the working smarter, mm. right? Because that's working smarter. It's not really it replacing their work. It's just supplementing their work, right? I mean, all of work. these things are a debate, right? I mean, right. We, we used to have people that we called calculators because they could do right. calculations, right? That you would give them math to do and they would do it. Yeah, but, that's a that's a hidden figures movie. Right. That's exactly. The they were they were calculators, right? And so those people were replaced with with first uh, manual and then electronic versions of those things. So I, you know, again, this there's no sort of clear like, okay, this is the past and this is the the future. Um, we're constantly debating what things. I mean, this is the fundamental question that's being asked by you when you go into this session is. What things should remain something that humans do because we think there's a reason for them to continue to do it in a learning context? And what things can be offloaded onto technology tools that can do those tasks sometimes better, faster, more uh, efficiently, whatever whatever phrasing you want to use than we can? Well, there are folks – I'm not one of them – who want to return to the blue books – yeah. who probably want to send the students to the library and the card catalog, not that the card <laughs> catalog even exists anymore. Yeah. No, would, like, books go, are all site. Go yeah. check out the microfiche and yeah, right. dig through. Yeah. yeah. Remember those days? I do. That, my dad, the reason I ended up living in Ann Arbor, Michigan is because my father went to work for uh, University Microfilm, which is the one who, the company that made microfiche. Like that, that's so a, you have a special place in your heart for microfiche. Well, I don't know if I do. My dad might. <laughs> uh, but does he yeah. have like microfiche throughout the whole house? Yeah. Does he have yeah, like... we have. I mean, that's how we did all the reading in the house in, until I graduated from high school. We didn't it's get like newspapers. It all got comic books on microfiche. Yeah. And there's a microfiche on uh, reader on the kitchen table. There's one in the in the bathroom. So you, if you wanted to read while you're on the toilet, like it, yeah, that's it, wow. They every, yeah. They, <laughs> You know, did did the dog bring in microfiche from the front yard whenever yeah, it was right. a daily newspaper? <laughs> dragging, that way? dragging a big microfiche <laughs> reader in. Wow. I, I don't think any of that is actually true. I, I, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> but it would just call it out. Yeah. Just call it out. Okay. So if we think about this from, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I guess that's the, the, the lens, a doctoral student, the beginning researcher like somebody who's you know beginning their journey as which is the students I'll be working with this 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 spring and mm -hmm. the students who are all part of this this session so one of the tools i introduced them to was a tool called elicit e l i c i t mm -hmm. all right and what elicit does is it it's a literature finder it's, it basically helps you interact or find academic research yeah. and so you can put in uh, a a research question. It's 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 basically a search, like you would go to Eric or EBSCO host or something like that. Uh, but the difference is and is that when you put it in, it pre presents the articles differently than if you went to like Eric or or something. Because in Eric, it basically just includes here's the abstract. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This allows you to categorize them a little differently. And it provides additional information to it. So um, I don't know, like, if you want to see this, but like, I can share the screen, but I don't know how valuable that would be for the people at home listening. Yeah, probably not, but probably not at all. 
Um, but I think what Elicit does, and I'm okay with this because what it does is it's a just a different way of searching for and finding stuff. Yeah. Now there are some features in it that provides us, it provides a summary for it or summarizes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or and it, it provides a different uh, uh, this this categorizing system allows them to like a, a user to like really interact with it and say, okay, how does this like what are what are the ways it collects data? It makes meaning, so mm-hmm. it helps the user better understand the article without actually reading the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I think the fuzziness begins for me is because if, if the student or the user is doing this to find good stuff mm-hmm. and then they go read the good stuff, mm-hmm. that is great for me because, mm-hmm. but if it is, I can do this, find this article it summarizes, does all this stuff. Now I don't have to read it. Mm-hmm. Then so, I have some so, issues. So let me ask you then, how do you feel about abstracts? Well, yes. Like, I mean, they're, the abstracts are like a necessary part of like, we're going to delete them from. Well, no, articles. but what I'm saying is that's a summary of the article. Right. Here's the, here's the difference. That's a great question. Cause this actually came up. All right. I, the difference with this is, that these eight I tools, these AI tools that are summarizing this, mm-hmm. adds a a dimension, a lens, a separation between you and the author, and that separation, that lens, is not an unbiased lens. Okay. There's a bias built into it that potentially could alter how you, as a reader, read and interact and make sense of that thing. If it's a step, that summary is not an unbiased, neutral approach. Okay, but then abstract's not unbiased, and your interpretation of a paper is not unbiased. But the abstract, the abstract was written in large part, mostly, by the author with support from an editor. Yeah. Okay, so so we're... Yeah, I I mean, we assume assume that the author... I mean, I think I, I do. I assume that the author... And the editor in the journal has a perspective, has a bias. Sure. Right. So when I read that, I critique it. Mm-hmm. So when I I get a summary or this this machine spits yeah. out a summary, I think the assumption for a lot of people, because we defer to technology a lot, that's a bias mm-hmm. we have as users, that it's this, you know, this neutral technology that is giving us an unvarnished, unbiased, neutral thing that we can. So my, my, where the dividing line for me is summaries to find great summaries to replace. No. Okay. I mean, I mean, everybody gets to draw their own line, right? That's part of the deal here is that you all get to make your arbitrary line and say, these things on this side are unacceptable. And these things on that side are acceptable. Right. But I mean, you could argue that part of the reason you know that uh, an author and an abstract and a journal have a point of view is that you've learned that. So is there a reason that we shouldn't just be helping 
students learn that, look, this summary is another useful tool for you, but it also has a point of view. Um, and you you may know less about the point of view uh, of this because it's a large language model. And so it's based on all writing in the history of the world or whatever. But um, so it's an average of human uh, language, but it's got a point of view. And so this summary is not 100 percent accurate uh, any more than the the abstract is 100 percent accurate. Yeah, I think having that conversation is a is a must. Right. But I think that it sounds like what you're saying, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but is that that's for you, you're willing to let students use this to search and to find new literature and to help them um, organize that literature in ways. But when it starts writing summaries of those articles, now you're saying, nope, that's a bridge too far and you don't want to do that. When uh, I'm, I'm OK with the summaries, I'm OK. If, it depends on what the summaries are doing for students. Okay. If the summaries are, if the student, if a student does this, and this goes back, I guess, to our, our ethics conversation, I guess, maybe like 20 episodes ago or something. If, cause there's like a ton of these AIs that you can just take a PDF, drop it into Claude, uh, Copilot, you know, or whatever. There's a, you know, and it will read it, quote unquote, read and summarize it for you. And then mm-hmm. if me as a student, I say, you know what? I can just read the summary and that's that's just like reading the article. Yeah. Yeah, again, I mean I I'm I'm not I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying you could say the same thing about the abstract and the, and people do do that. Read the abstract yeah. and say, "Okay, well basically I've read the article." So, um well, yeah. I, I, I mean, I I agree, but it's 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 kind of like if we're going to put this in some sort of historical context, for us, like we're th- those of us who are maybe like a little grayer in their beard and hair, it's like cliff notes. Mm-hmm. Like how comfortable were you with using cliff notes? And I, I can be honest. I really very rarely re- I, I used cliff notes. I, I never – I don't remember ever buying cliff notes mm-hmm. ever or like – or going online and like accessing them. I just don't remember doing that. Um, I'm not saying that I didn't use it. I just don't remember it, mm-hmm. doing it um, because – to me, I wanted to read the book. What you know, even the books I didn't like, I still read. Um, but how comfortable were you with using Cliff Notes? Because that's what this is. It's a Cliff Notes version of these. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, again, I'm 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 just trying to to get into the weeds here of what really is like that all of these decisions about what is and is not acceptable are arbitrary based on things that we value. What do we value? What do we think is important? What do we think learning is? What do we want the outcomes of a learning experience to be? It's not, those decisions are not made in a way that everybody's going to agree with because it's a value-based decision. It's not a purely logical decision, right? So if I was your doc student, okay, well, let me put it specifically. If I was your doc student yeah. I was, and I, you were. As a, I was, as, it so if I, as yeah. So if I was your doc student and you gave me, here's 20 articles for you to read on, I don't know, um, Laban Wanger, Communities of Practice. And I went, all right, I'm going to plop all 20 of these into co-pilot, have them summarize. I come to you and said, I read these 20, these, these 20, here are the, where, where are you? Where are you? Are you, you comfortable with me, me having done that instead of reading the 20 articles you gave me? 
Um, well, it depends on, I, I, I could, I guess my initial uh, reaction is yeah, but, um, but I would say it, it does depend on what we're going to do with that. Like if, if we're going to then have a conversation about it, my guess is I'll know pretty quickly whether they read mm -hmm. article or a summary. Right. Um, so, so if, if they're okay showing up to a meeting, having summarized it over, over Copilot, I mean, I can certainly say there were articles in classes that I took in graduate school that I did not read very completely, right? I skimmed them. I, I read the abstract and sort of did the highlights, went to the finding section, maybe the conclusions get, you know? So, um, I mean, everybody is making choices about their time all the time. Um, so, and, and I think maybe doctoral studies is, is a less good context in the sense that most of those people are adult presumably, uh, at least in education, often former professionals. Um, so that it's, you know, as opposed to what is my reaction to people doing that in say a high school class? Well, maybe it's different there because at that point I'm expecting them to develop some of these skills for themselves to be able to do some of this work. You know, it's, it's like the, it's the, you know, going back to the calculator again, like do you just give kids calculators in first grade and start letting them use them immediately? So they do one plus one equals and they, that's how they know what one plus one equals two, or do you have them learn addition and, and multiplication tables and do all that stuff and, and then let them use a calculator later because they understand and have used the math. I mean, this is, these are the decisions, right? Right. You're doing some fence sitting. That's what you I'm not, I'm not fence sitting at all. I mean, uh, I don't know. It feels I'm, like I'm, it. It feels why? like it. Because I, uh, because I, I, I have, what I'm I've, doing I've is explained where the line is for me. I've no. explained where the line is for me. I said, okay, here's what it is. Yeah. Great for you, you to find stuff. It's great for you to find the good stuff, but you still have to interact with the good stuff. And well, you're saying, I didn't well, say you didn't I have to interact. Uh, uh, whoa, you know, dude. I did not say you don't have to interact with the stuff. What you're doing is you're trying to make clean buckets. And you know me. I don't like buckets. <laughs> you want no, there's only given a one correct answer. No. No, no. I've given a context in of use, a yeah. specific context of use for a specific population. And I say, this is where I'm comfortable for, for this population. And all I did was add nuance to that and say, even within the context you've given, there are different types of activities, right? If that's a class and that's a different context than that's if it's in my research group versus if this is the student's dissertation and they're, they're, those papers are directly relevant to their dissertation and they have to read them, right? Those are three different contexts all within the context that you sure. just described. I hear you. I hear you. Mm -hmm. Fence sitter. Mm -hmm. Oh, fence sitter. See, <laughs> all you can do is throw stones when you want no, to. No, I'm just calling buckets. it out. All right. Yeah. So yeah, me. I yeah, want I'm making buckets. buckets and you're over there sitting yep. on the fence. I'm all like, right. it's a river, dude. You never step in the same river twice. <laughs> all right. Why well, the thing is, is that I I I think our students require some sort of guidelines and guardrails because mm -hmm. then it that like just talking about the nuance is where problematic use starts. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't disagree with that. The question is for me again is is like how does that happen? And for me, that happens through practice through engagement in the practice rather than making a list because I don't like lists because lists <laughs> don't fit all contexts. And so if you say, look, you're not allowed to use AI to do summaries of papers because that's an ethical no. violation. Well, then, then we're already at a place where, well, what if I do it uh, 
But what if I'm trying to figure out if a bunch of these papers are useful to me and I dump them into Copilot and have them write summaries and then I read the summaries to decide whether I'm selecting them or not? So I'm giving rather than I know that you, you like to call it a list, but I'm trying to give some guiding principles mm -hmm. or develop some guiding principles to inform their practice. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of turn it into a list. You're like, uh, hey, I mean, you identify it as a list. You're like, this is a list. Lists are bad, but guiding is, principles. Is it your principles? Can, because you know what? Here's the thing. I can't, I can't figure out whether, I can't figure out any use. I can't predict any use for a student. But what I can do is to say, look, here's how this goes. If you are going to do this to make your life easier and to save yourself cognitive work, then you're cheating yourself of the process. Mm-hmm. Like yep. it's it, it, sure it's making life life easier. You might be able to finish a product, but the hard work, the hard cognitive work of learning and reading and making sense, that that is the real academic work of learning. Right. And you, you understand the argument you're making is exactly the argument people made against using calculators in schools. No, I don't think it's the same. A hundred percent. Go back and look. The literature at that time, the math folks were saying, if we let kids use calculators, they will not be doing the hard work of the mathematics. They will not learn it. They will not understand it. And by using calculators, we are cheating them of the intellectual work of doing math. Yeah, but see, I'm not banning this use. I'm not banning any of this stuff from my classroom. I'm well, just saying parts of it. You're ba no, I mean, I'm just I was trying to use. help guide their use. Because not anything goes. You can't. So there are tools out there right now that will allow them to write. Right, you can drop in five PDFs and it'll write a literature review for you. Right. I get it. I get that they, these tools are powerful and they can do the work that. And again, this is the argument that's been made about every technology tool since. The, que the question is, or previous, um, the question for me is, where do those guidelines come from? Well, I will say... If if you go to a like I I submitted an article in the um, maybe in in December and they asked me specifically when I submitted the article what role did AI play in development of this article? Mm -hmm. So they're saying any any use you have to declare any use. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be a if it isn't already it's going to evolve into a standard where we have there's probably going to be a checklist of course. Sure. Where you say, did you did you do this thing? Did you do this thing? Did you do this thing? Right. But what I'm asking you—that's no, not mine. That's guide, not, my, that's not me. Your guidelines. Your guidelines. <laughs> where are your guidelines coming from? Well, they're. I mean, I'm the instructor of the course, so they're. There we so go. they're coming from what I ethically and cognitively and pedagogically I'm comfortable with. Yeah. So you made a list. I, I, look, I'm, I'm just all right. Saying. So let's talk. Let's. So if that's going to be the case with any of these, that's going to be like, all right, well, I'm not going to make no. a list this way. I'm not going to then that's, this is going to be a very good episode because it's going to be it's already <laughs> a really good episode because I think the interesting part isn't where the interesting part isn't what is the list and where does your where is your line? The interesting conversation is why is your line where it is and why is that different than somebody else's line? Because I think the point is. Like if you if you worked in your class 
and gave them these tools and said, okay, we're going to use Copilot and we're going to use it in class to do some summaries of articles. And then we're going to talk about what we think is fair use of this tool in the context of this class. Now, now you're co-constructing a set of guidelines with the folks in your class. And, and that sounds and like make, they're, you're asking them to make a list. No, I'm asking us to co-construct a list, which is different <laughs> because the list is only for us in this class for these tools. It's not making a list that is true in all cases under all circumstances. But I know I'm that's not, not what you're saying. Making a list that's true in all circumstances. That's, that's, well, no. it, but you're a priori making a list that says this is the list <laughs> for this group of people. For this this context, but the reality is these are novice folks. Yeah, these are be beginners at a practice. Yeah, and so if you say, "Hey, like if we draw in, uh, if we like go to situated cognition, if we talk about, hey, uh, actually, uh, you know, Levenwanger, if we talk about, hey, here's how butchers are apprenticed into the practice. And you yeah. say, okay, let's talk about knife practices. Okay, let's just develop, develop knife practices. That's not what they do. They say, here are some guidelines on how to do this thing because experts can inform novices. Yeah, well, that, that's and, exactly and what experts, I'm describing in my no, circumstance. No, that's what, this is what I'm trying to do. No, I'm trying what, to do it because I'm an is, expert at this and I'm trying to support novices. And I'm trying I, to say what I think you're doing is you're saying, here's a list of the rules of knife practice. We're going to put them on the wall. No, I'm trying to give them some Oops. guidelines to inform their practice because they're beginning at this. Mm -hmm. And if we just let them use knives, they're going to hurt themselves. Or if we say, hey, play around with these knives and let's come up with some rules after you play around with knives. Then there's going to be some blood. No, well, but what I'm saying is, you're not. No, but like, but you're, I, you're saying that I I'm taking this like copilot co is not knives. It is not dangerous for them to play with copilot. It it, but, it is. But I but I will say this, Scott. Yeah, I, I if we don't inform their, if we don't give them some skills, if we don't give them some guidelines, there is going to be a student or two, and I've already heard from parents that did this, in which. Students were accused of academic dishonesty. Sure. And there was – I talked to a parent last week whose student – she was a senior – was almost kicked out of her institution yeah. because there was a concern about academic dishonesty because the, the instructor thought that she had misused an AI. Right. I don't know how – I mean ultimately I think she didn't – she was able to graduate – but if we don't give them guidelines, there's going to be trouble ahead. I'm not saying you, you think that what I'm saying is we shouldn't help them understand what is ethical use of these tools or what safe use of these tools. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm yeah, saying know, is if you give them a list of what constitutes safe use or ethical use of these tools and not practice what that's supported by negotiated meaning then all that doesn't matter because they're still interpreting your rule the way they want to interpret it. And, and therefore they, you're but still having novices. The same These are novices. These yeah, are people that are beginning they're, they're, They don't. Yeah. They don't see I, the difference. But, well, they, unless you help I, them see I, the I think difference. That's untrue. Now we're taking a deficit perspective on people and saying no. they can't understand this stuff. So I have to no, make it's, a list it, and tell it, them what it, to do. No, it's about professional vision. Right. It comes back to that. It's like helping them see the difference. Professional vision does not give people lists. They negotiate meaning in context. The, right. The whole that's what I'm trying the, to do. No, you're not. 
Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, you're starting with your list and then you're telling, you're teaching them your list as the, as the way to, well, I, let me, let me put it differently. If, sure. a kid, if your doctoral student came to you and said, Hey, I heard what you said about like, I can only use copilot in this way, but I'd like to use it in this way. And here's why. Would you just say, no, that's like, here's the rules. The rule is that copilot gets used this way and you can't use it that way. No, but that's, I don't but, find but, that but I, no, but I didn't, but I, you are I'm, absolutely I'm, misinterpreting. Exactly no, no, what I'm giving you a hypothetical. Now you gave me a hypothetical. So of I'm course those are things that we would, we would talk about. Absolutely. Well, and every, but, every but single you, one of these conversations are you okay I've had, with moving your line if a kid comes to you and says, "Like, here's my rationale. I'm an, I'm arguing that I can use Copilot this way. It'll help improve the quality of my work, and I want to yeah. use it this way." But you're saying that's unethical. Can we change the line? Or yeah. would you just I, say, I think this. I'm, I think this I'm episode is going to be so. Uh, it's not going to be valuable to anyone. They're just going to hear us like yelling at each other. Okay. All right. Then, then <laughs> you're, you're like, all right. Through, let's go through. Give me, give me your next tool. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. No, give me your next tool and tell me where your line is and, and I'll tell you whether I agree or have a different line. Well, so, yeah. So there's a, a handful of tools, connected maps, I mean, connected papers, uh, lit maps, and Research Rabbit. Have you seen any of these? Uh, I have seen Research Rabbit. Yeah. And so what these articles, what these do is they take a, a, a list of articles and create a map of them. Yep. They all three, all three do the same thing. All three do them in different ways. Like I think uh, with lit maps, you pick an article that you. Oh, I've seen lit maps too. Yeah. So lit maps, you pick an article that you think is like really critical to your work. Mm -hmm. And so, and then you seed the map for that. And then what it does is it, populates this whole gigantic map and and the size of the the you know each node um has a uh a different size and different color and so and they, they use similar processes with this and that how far away they are from the central um node or center seed uh like is really about like time like whether you know something's recent or something you know is um, you know, more distant in time or, you know, how connected it is in terms of the concepts that are uh, captured in an article. And do they, is that what you just described is, is sort of the algorithm by which it designs the map. Is that transparent? Do they tell you that that's what mean, what those things mean? Well, I think that, and I, I mean, it, it, it really, or it's different for each one. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so with research rabbit, you can say based on time, based on people or based on content. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you're like, okay, I really want to focus on this researcher and you could find those researchers across articles. Um, so it will create the map that way. Or, uh, if you want to do it in terms of time, it'll reorganize it that way. The great thing about Research Rabbit is if you use something like Zotero or some other library system, you can just input, uh, import the library directly. And so mm -hmm. that, yeah, that right. you, an existing library. And the cool thing for me for that is it can help you find articles that you may not have read or even known existed. Right. 
So it right? becomes so almost like, like a search engine of its uh, of its own. Right. It's a visible visual search right. engine because yeah, it's yeah. helping you identify articles that like exist in that ecosystem without necessarily like knowing how to find that one. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think is pretty cool. Uh, you know, certainly it's a it's a visual tool that um, can help, you know, show how I mean, I think that from that perspective, it's pretty cool to show how like these ecosystems exist without actually knowing that they exist or how a representation of a research ecosystem exists. Right, right. right. Yeah. Like who's working with who or who's informed by who. Right. Or who's, who's citing who, who's, right. who's in the same community. Right. Which is, you know, one of the things that we talk about is, you know, the development of, you know, theoretical frameworks. And th- those three, this kind of visually shows the players within a theoretical framework or hmm. many theoretical frameworks. Right. Yeah. Um, so that can show that that sort of ecosystem. So, I mean, I think there's probably subtle differences between um, those three research rabbit, lit map and um and connected papers. So the nice thing about connected papers is it can give you um, the same sort of thing. You could do prior works, derivative works, um, but it also lets you uh, list list it, create a list from it rather than just the, the map of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also do some filters in terms of like, okay, you know, is this available directly? Can, so you can like just download the article right from it. So it gives you some additional access there. Um, yeah. All of them are free-ish, you know, in that. So yeah. there's like a base level that you can access for free. And then if you want better or more or whatever, you pay. Yeah. And for like Connect Papers, Connect the Papers is very similar to LitMaps in that you pick a specific article, a specific, um, you know, thing that you want to build the whole thing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a good tool. I mean, I remember um, at Michigan, one of the big conversations I had um, with with some of the folks there at that time, which was, you know, again, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s, talking about, is there a way to do this kind of mapping? Because we were talking about how valuable it would be or um, to be able to do this, to be able to see a visual relationship between scholars work and be able to see how there are clusters who are these people why are all these people citing each other oh it turns out that they all had the same doctoral advisor or they all you know are at the same institution or been on research projects together or whatever so you start to get a sense of like oh well there's a reason you know you have to come up with and i guess it's probably true in this context too like a reason for why these these um patterns exist so it helps you find patterns in the literature and then you have to think about well why is it that all these people are together oh well they're all at northwestern or they're all connected northwestern in some way or whatever it is um so yeah i mean i think uh it's an interesting idea to help you sort of identify patterns in reading that you're doing that um maybe aren't necessarily obvious to you um you know there are the ten thousand foot view on this stuff and so you can look down and say oh this is interesting the way these things are laid out i wonder if there's a reason for this and and then you get to decide whether you care about that reason or whether you just are like oh that's interesting all these people cite each other yeah i think you know looking at it for for students or beginning researchers i think this could be a a great 
tool for them mm-hmm. to help to identify the how connected work can be. And, you know, when they are looking for for something, right, looking for to inform I don't know, their perspectives on, on something, this can help them find articles. And I think that search part of it can be really valuable. I mean, it's like I, you know, I use Eric and Epsco Host and all that stuff a lot. And I, they're clunky. They're just clunky, yeah. right? Well, and, they're just long lists of search findings, whereas this does some organizational work for you. And I think, you know, certainly one of the things we talk about with doctoral students all the time is to try and think about their writing as being per, a participant in a conversation. And I think something like these kinds of tools helps you to understand what that means. Like it's sort of like a visual of a party where you can see like where the clicks, where the people that are talking to each other and what are they talking about? Um, You know, I think that's, that's a powerful um, tool for doctoral students to get a sense that, you know, when we say the field, what we really mean is there's lots of, interconnected conversations and you have to as a doctoral student make decisions about what conversation you want to participate in and which ones you think are valuable and which scholars you think are interesting and so that is you know this is a tool for visualizing that based on the way that scholars cite each other at least or have relationships in that way so there's there's one more tool that I thought I'd introduce, and this is one I talk to uh, with these doctoral students, is this uh, tool called Consensus. Mm. Um, and what you do is you put in a research question, kind of like elicit, and that yeah. you start with a research question. And then um, it presents what it sees are like the 10-ish articles that are the most impactful on that. Again, that it, that the algorithm isn't always, you know, transparent, sure. like how it gets to that. Um, but then what it does is as you go down through this 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 list of, of findings that they have, this um they give you some background of it. They tell you whether, you know, the type of research it is, like it's a meta-analysis or it's a it's a review. Um it also tells you whether something's highly cited. And then you can, as a researcher, click on it and say, okay, give me a study snapshot of this, which will give you sort of a summary of it. So, mm-hmm. um, and then you can click and it will synthesize those 10 articles into uh, a synthesis mm-hmm. of all the articles that are right. So all of those most popular, it will create a synthesis and develop themes across those. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? Since I got to go first this last time. <laughs> oh, gosh, Scott, I I have I have some reservations. Yeah, yeah, because I, you know using you know using my sort of litmus test is this replacing students' thinking? Like mm-hmm. the because what it will do now is create a synthesis of these ten articles. So now they're not reading the summaries, mm-hmm. right? And reading the summaries and synthesizing those. They're not reading the articles and synthesizing those. They're looking at here's an AI who's taking 10 articles that they saw and combining them together into something, which is the the, the thing that I would ask them to do. Mm-hmm. I would ask my students to, you know, find, you know, a number of articles on a subject and then write the synthesis. So this is replacing them, replacing yeah. the cognitive work, replacing the the actual 
you know, cognitive activity that I would, I have reservations. Do I have reservations at the beginning part with finding the stuff and having it like, so if I said, Hey, I want you to find qualitative work about this research topic, right? This would be a great way to help them find that qualitative work because they go through and they'd say, okay, this is, okay, this is a literature review. This is not a, this is a randomly controlled trial, uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, or they can actually filter it and say specifically find qualitative work. Those are great additions. But as soon as they, as soon as they, you know, cross over to the synthesis, that's where the, you know, for me, um, that's where the ethical challenges start to begin. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to get back into our same argument, but, <laughs> but I do want to say, like, I think if you got to be, what's the right word? Like saying that it takes, that that's the point at which it's taking away their cognitive work. I think that's, again, all the whole stack is doing that. So, it, so there's a value that you have to, in this case, it sounds like synthesis. You're saying, look, if they're, if it's going to, if it's going to find these articles and display them and maybe even organize them in some way, that's okay. But once they have to start doing some kind of synthesis or, or processing of that information to make their own judgments or, or connections, find their own patterns. Now I'm, I'm not okay. Like that should be something that they need to learn how to do. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, sir. Are you restating what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm well, restating what you're saying yeah. because then I'm going to I'm going to say I'm I don't have that same line um, because I think there's a lot of similarities here between what we just saw in Research Rabbit in that what this is doing is it's finding patterns and and those patterns aren't right because patterns aren't right. That's not the way that works, especially when we're talking about patterns in literature. So. AI, the AI is suggesting some patterns, right? And and you get to then make judgments about those patterns in the same way you can go into chat GPT and say, hey, I'm thinking about starting a stationary store. Can you generate 10 ideas for stationary stores that are unusual? And it generates 10 ideas. And then you're like, well, I like number two and number three, and I'm going to take those and I'm going to do something with them. So I think, yeah, there there is cognitive work being done by the AI, um, just like there is with a calculator, just like there is with Zotero, just like there is with all of these tools, because that's why we build these tools is to reduce our cognitive work and let us focus on a different part of the cognitive work. So, um, I mean, I think that the struggle that we're all having with AI is, um, is that humans are in a shrinking island and we've got to figure out what's on the island and what's not. And um, AI is doing a lot of cognitive work that we didn't think for a long time it would be able to do for us. Um, and we're just at the beginning of this stuff. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, but all that to say, I'm not sure that the synthesis bothers me, um, as, as something, as long as, again, the students understand what that synthesis mean means in the sense that can they just present that as their, okay, I, here's the synthesis that, that consensus delivered to me and I'm going to turn that in as my work. Well, that wasn't your work. That was consensus's work. So if you're putting it in as your work, well, that's, that's an ethical problem, right? Because it is not your work. You did not do that work. Um, but that tool can help you to do your work. And if you say like, Oh, it helped me in this way, it generated a synthesis. And from that I did X, Y, and Z. And here's my thinking on that. I guess I don't see that as problematic. 
I, yeah, I guess we'll agree to disagree, right? Yeah, well, that's the point is we have different lines, right? And your your line is in a different place than mine. And I think those are reflections on, you know, again, what our definition of learning is, what we, what we value, what we think, how we see these tools playing out in in use um, and, and what that means for people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, and these are tricky things, right? Because yeah. part of the problem is, you're also relying on students, especially in the long term, you're relying on students to be to be transparent about this stuff. You know, if you go back to the Cliff Notes example that you gave, like there's lots of kids who crushed tests all through high school just reading Cliff Notes. So and they were never transparent about it. Right. They weren't going to their English teacher and saying, hey, you know, I use Cliff Notes. I didn't read the book. Um, so I. So this the same thing is somewhat true here, not somewhat, is even more so true here, um, which is you don't know if your student even knows consensus exists, much less that they're using it to write a synthesis of the 10 papers that you asked them to write a synthesis of. So there is a, I mean, you can guess, you can look at the work and say, this doesn't sound like Ollie's voice. I don't think he wrote this. But, um, and maybe we'll develop better tools for testing those things in the future. I don't know. It's hard because- it's just text. And so we're, we're asking one machine to determine whether another machine produced a certain set of texts. So you're really asking for um, complicity and transparency from your students to say, oh, yeah, Ali, I, I did use connected papers for this, and here's how I used it. Well, I, th- I think, you know, our, our ethical practices exist when somebody isn't watching us. Right. That's that's where that's the, the heart of, you know, ethics and and all of that. Right. Is that we sure. make that most of the time we are individual actors walking through the world without somebody, you know, supervising us. Right. And right. so we have to give folks, our students are not the novice researchers that we're going to interact with some we have to arm them with something so they have to under so they better understand um what ethical practice looks like mm-hmm. in this field and so that's you know my my hope with this conversation today was to try to to better inform that because we're not going to be sitting there watching them i mean unless we do unless we say hey here's a blue book you know you're going to yeah. do a comp- comprehensive exam today, and this is your. You're going to read these five articles in pay on paper, and then write on paper. And I don't think any of us, or I don't think either of us, maybe there's others, feel comfortable with that. Right? Yeah. Well, certainly there are people who are doing it. I know there are people doing it at Penn State, and I'm sure there are people who, in the future who will who will use that as a solution. I mean, sure. for me, it's it's about for me the different. Well, go ahead, and then I'll say. No, no, I think that's the the thing I want us I want us to talk with and with our doctoral students or with our undergrads is here's here's where here's where the muckiness happens. And these are the things you have to think about and these are the value judgments you're going to have to make. And this is the practice of our field, whatever that field is, and this is what the boundaries of ethical ethical practice is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I guess what I would say is the the main line, if I was going to draw a line, the main line that I would draw is, are you presenting work 
that you did not do as work that you did do. So for me, that's the ethical line is if you're saying like, hey, I did this. This is me. I thought this up. I read these papers. I wrote these summaries. I wrote this synthesis. I'm handing it in to you as my work. That's for me, that's the boundary that can, regardless of what the tool is, that boundary always stays in place, which is to say, if you used a calculator to do this math and I asked you to do it without a calculator, well, that's unethical. If you, if I asked you to write a paper and, and you use these tools and didn't tell me that you use those tools, you just had it write it for you. Well, that's unethical. So it's, it's because the tools are a constantly shifting sand, right? They're, and the tools oh, yeah. that we listed here explo- are- And these are just like, there's like tools that will let the, the students hear articles being yeah. read to them. Right. There are articles that, I mean, tools that will, you put in the, yeah, there's just a ton of these out there. Just well, keep, and they're, they're all exploding. evolving rapidly, right? All and these they are. tools in a month or two months or six months are going to have, right. uh, they're going to have parts to them. They're going to have tools or new attributes that, that aren't there now and going to make that conversation even more complicated. Yeah, like- like Scholar C, Jenny, Keeper Pal, there's a ton of these. You know, yeah. I could just li- like list them, and it and our students may or may not know these exist. And our, I will tell you that most of the faculty I work with at Millersville do not know these things exist. Sure. And so we have to have conversations with lots of people. And talk about like how this is going to inform their practice and help to give them we, we we have to give them guidelines and guardrails. I really believe that because if we don't, there's just going to be all sorts. Because like you, I think that what you said was is valuable. Like what work did you do? Is this work that you did? But I think to the students, our their definition of work and what our definition of work is different. Yeah. And so when when so we have to say okay. Here's what work looks like to me or what it means to me. Yeah. I, that's I, def- hear, I hear what you're saying. What I'm yeah. saying is that for me, that happens through interaction. It doesn't happen through me making that list because, because when you say, here's what it looks like to me. So if you're using illicit, you can do X, Y, and Z, but you can't do A, B, and C. Well, you know, in a month, Alyssa is going to have a whole bunch of new features. Are you going to remake that list? And then, you know, that, there's that, other but, tools. But that I didn't do that. But I, did, but I didn't I do you're that. not. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not basing it on the features within the tools. I'm well, basing you're saying on things like you can't use it to summarize a group of articles. Not even that. I didn't say that. Okay. I, I, I didn't you say, did say that. No, so, I did not so say. So when it. you drew the boundary, what, what were you no, saying? Then? It's so a, what clarify. are you using? What are you using the summaries for? Okay. So say you know, more about that then. So, yeah. So we're, this this episode is going really long. So, um, <laughs> okay, we can stop. Yeah. No, I mean, what I said, and you can go back to the beginning, is if the summary is helping the first person find the good stuff and read through the summary and say, this is something that I have to spend some time with, then that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And if they go and read the article because it's a it's a way to identify that that is a good article for them to read. Mm-hmm. Now they'll have to read it to see if that's actually something that they need to spend the time with. But if the summary is like a replacement of reading the article, then I have challenges with that. If they go, I've read the summary, then I don't have to read the article. So it's not even just reading the abstract. It's reading the summary that's based on the abstract and the whole article. The article. I have, I have, I have some real challenges with that. Yeah, I heard that. 
heard Jeff. And so, so, <laughs> so I'm not saying they can't use the summaries. It's like, what are you using it for? I know Let's it sounds to, to, I, to you in your bucket and list world, that sounds like I'm giving them a bucket or list, but I'm giving them a guide, some guidance. That's what I'm giving them, some guidance. Yeah, I, it's the, I mean, I, I don't know if we want to end this or not, because, I, I, <laughs> but I mean, the, the, all I'll say is the, the verb give there is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. So I think that's. Because you I'm an expert them, and they're a novice. They're brand new doctoral students. No, no, they're that's an new... argument for why. That's not what give means. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, as we move forward, I mean, we can certainly. That's not what I'm uh, saying either. What I'm saying is when you say I want to give them, I want to arm them, I want to like, there is a process involved in giving and arming. And that's the learning thing, right? Is you're saying I want them to learn that how to use these tools appropriately. That's what you mean when you say give an arm. So, right. So that's where the devil's in the details that, that I think are, are differentiating some of the ways that at least I'm talking about what it means to give an arm. I'm saying there are very different ways to think about how to give an arm people. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that the way that I think about doing that may be different than the way that you are. And sure. that's, that's where the difference lies is not, it, not because we don't want, I don't want people to use these tools unethically. I don't, that's not my goal. I don't want to say any, anything is good. You can go out and do whatever you want. So I want them to learn how to use these tools appropriately too. We both do. So it's a question of what is the process of that and how do we do that? Um, that I think some of the challenges come in because, um, because yeah, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road is how does this actually happen in practice? Well, I think when we work with n new researchers or novice novices in, in our respective fields, that we have to help them understand what that looks like. I and agree. Whether, I agree. Uh, I know. You're, 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 you're finding the language I'm using to be very authoritarian. I hear what, I hear what you – Well, I, and, it's not that I, and I it, find it, it to be it, authoritarian. It's, I, I'm just saying there's a difference in what it means – to to I think we're and maybe we're not maybe we have exactly the same vision for for how this happens but I think the point is that that process that's represented by learn or give or arm or whatever word you're going to use about helping them understand these things it's it's that process that you and I are differing on it sounds like to me so it's not so much is this tool good or bad? I don't think either of us think these tools are either good or bad. They're used in all sorts of different ways. Some right, ways absolutely. that are ethically inappropriate, some ways that are totally appropriate and we would, we encourage, right? So it's not that these are some binary, put them in a bucket things as tools. It's tools in use that are, that what is what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. All right. Joyce, you want to start? <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure. I will start. Um, so over the holidays, I watched a movie that I really enjoyed and my family really enjoyed and see, people seem to really enjoy it and it's winning all sorts of awards. So it's not really, uh, uh, I'm not alone in this, in this, uh, decision-making, but the holdovers was a movie I saw. Um, and it was actually a really good Christmas time movie. Obviously the whole, for those of you who don't know, um, which I imagine is nobody, but, uh, the holdovers is a movie about, um, a boarding school where kids are, it's the kids that have to stay at the school over the holidays. Cause for one reason or another, they can't go home. Um, 
and it ends up being about a teacher and a, a um a, a woman who works in the kitchen there and one student in particular this sort of uh triangle of the three of them and their relationship with each other and and this time that they spend together and it's it's just a lovely movie it's not you know it's 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 very retro in its feel it's very explicitly retro like from the opening credits they make it look like it's a movie from the 70s um and the all three of the actors give award worthy award worthy performances and a couple of them have already received awards for those performances so again not i'm not going out on a limb here but it is a great movie and well worth your time if you can see it yeah i saw that yesterday it's it's streaming on peacock if anybody has has peacock it's out there on peacock uh it's a great movie um and i i highly recommend it and paul giamatti is awesome in it and uh uh my daughter olivia saw it in the theaters um, a few weeks ago, and she was saying that like Paul Gi- Giamatti does this thing with his eye. He has like a like he has a sleepy eye. He has a lazy eye. Yeah, lazy eye. So, um, in the movie he does, but they yeah. he has not disclosed how he how he the, did it, how he and the director did that, which yeah. is really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it is a great movie. It is yeah. really touching. It is. I think it's going to be one of those. Uh, it's a holiday movie. It's a Christmas yep. movie. Um, yep. even though it's like way after Christmas, um, it just came up, uh, and I was like, oh, I'll watch this. Yep. Um, but it's, it's going to be one of those movies that, you know, like people like family, Stone, the family stone. I think I've recommended yep. that family stone. It's more in that vein than it is like elf. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's or die parts hard. Are, right. It's parts that are funny. There are funny parts yes. in this. Um, but it is definitely more in the, uh, melancholy heartwarming heartwarming yeah it's know. a wonderful life sort of story yes. that have have sadness and joy and funniness but all mixed yeah. together yeah. so my joy is also a movie uh that we saw in the theaters this weekend um it was all of us strangers mm-hmm. and so uh it stars andrew scott Andrew Scott is, uh, for those of you who are Sherlock fans, he was Moriarty, the guy who played Moriarty. Or if he was, if you're a Fleabag fan, he was the 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 hot priest, the priest. priest. Um, And uh, the other uh, person in the movie is Paul Mezcal, and Paul Mezcal was in Normal People. If you've uh, Mm -hmm. seen that, which was awesome, and I think I recommended that as a joy back in the uh, at the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So. I don't want to give too much away because I don't want to like, you know, you know, steal the ending or anything yeah. like that. Um, but it's about these two um two guys who live in a apartment building to- together in different, you know, apartments and they find each other. Um and um their relationship ensues and it is a it is one of those ones that will stick around with you for a bit. Um yeah. it's a uh, it's it's hard a little a little sad, a little heartbreaking. Um, and, um, su- definitely surprising. The ending is surprising. So, hmm. um, yeah. So I, I'll just leave it there. It is, it is definitely w- worth your time if you want to be gutted. <laughs> <laughs> All I want for Christmas. Yeah. It's not a Christmas movie. No, I know. This I'm is just not, not a Christmas oh. movie. It, well, actually, there is a little bit of Christmas in this. This is, yeah. 
it's there is actually uh a, some christmas in this too so i think it's it, it's happening around christmas surprisingly but it's not doesn't play a huge part like it is a it is a theme in the holdovers it's not really a theme yeah. in this so it's like die hard in that regard <laughs> yeah i mean it's ha- the, stuff, the stuff is happening i guess around christmas you know yeah, yeah. so yeah so definitely two movies that you should nice. check out holdover and holdovers in uh, which was based on a book that is I highly recommended from my peeps in the literature world. They yeah. say that's a great book. And then all of same a same name. I think so. Okay. And all of us strangers. Yeah. And <clears throat> to all of you out there, sorry, this one ran so long, you know, if you've made it to this part <laughs> and hopefully there'll be an episode one eighty. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Could be, could, Never be know. We, could be we have to talk to our therapist a little bit <laughs> right. more. Have some, you know, some therapy here. Yeah. You know, some, yeah, great. Some yeah. relationship work. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. No, we're just, you know, we just have very strong opinions. Well, and, and in fairness, it's, it's unusual for us to disagree. Right. I mean, right. I think 99.9% of stuff we, we don't, we don't have much difference on in terms of the way that we view things, but I, there, you know, there are things that we see differently and that's good. And it played out right here on right here on the show <laughs> on science but, in between. And we'll catch you next time. Maybe, 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 maybe. In, in between or maybe not. In between. <laughs> maybe not. Right, next time it'll just be Scott. It'll be yeah. the Scott episode. <laughs> just, yeah. Me just silently sitting here yeah. waiting for Ollie to log into the zoom. <laughs> it'll just be like, 45 minutes of silence uh, yes. followed by see you then. <laughs> yeah. It'll still have the intro and exit mu- music, right? Oh yeah. Good point. <laughs> like, yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah. That'd be it, awesome. It'll be, it'll be like meditation. You can just yeah. listen to the, yes, to the white noise or yeah. no noise. All right. We'll catch you next time in between. All right. We'll see you then. Bye now.